From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. We need to talk about black breast health. Black women are about 40% more likely to die of breast cancer than white women. Diagnosed at younger ages, at later stages, and with more aggressive breast cancers leading to poorer outcomes. This monthly podcast series, Stand For Her, uniting to create a breast health equity revolution, opens a national dialogue that engages community members and organizations, healthcare providers, research scientists, and opinion and policy leaders to discuss recommendations and actionable strategies to advance breast health equity in the Black community. Susan G. Komen's approach to creating a health equity revolution through Stand For Her includes tailored interventions such as workforce development to increase diversity and improve cultural sensitivity of healthcare workers. We're thrilled to welcome Dr. Tracy Battaglia from Boston University and Keandra Fox from Komen's patient navigation training team to discuss this important topic. Welcome to the show, Tracy and Keandra. Good morning. Great to be here. Good morning. It's great to be here as well. All right. So I'm excited to talk to you both. This is such an important topic, and I really like the juxtaposition of this conversation. So uh, Tracy, you have more than 20 years of experience designing and implementing community-engaged patient navigation programs to address health inequities across the continuum of cancer care. Can you tell us more about the, this work and why these programs are so important? Absolutely. Thank you, Adam. So I practice at Boston Medical Center, which is the largest safety net medical center in New England. And I've been there for over 20 years. And when I started out my career, we used to say that breast cancer is not always the worst problem our patients are facing. And we have learned a lot of things over the past 20 years. Um, and I think what we what we meant when we said that is really around understanding the structural and social barriers to accessing quality care. We've sort of really matured in our understanding of healthcare inequities and um, what patient navigation programs were designed to do were to understand at the individual level what barriers our patients had in accessing quality care. We uh, practice in Boston in a city that is an embarrassment of riches of academic medical institutions, yet our disparities in health outcomes, including breast cancer outcomes for Black and white women, is still enlarging. That's a big problem. And so patient navigation programs were designed to address that issue. Now, there's no way a patient navigator in and of themselves can fix the broken healthcare system that we have, but it's a start. And I think what patient navigation has done and also matured over the years is to really start to understand the process or journey that our patients take from the time that they um, have a suspicion for cancer to their diagnosis and through their treatment. and um, you know, the, the intention of navigation is really to get patients through in a timely way. Time is of the essence. We know if we get patients in to cancer care in a timely way, they have better outcomes. And navigators work with patients to help them do that. You know, I've, I've never thought about what you said. You said uh, breast cancer may not be the worst per worst thing that person's facing. Like, that is just Wow, that's a profound statement and such an mm -hmm. insightful thing to say from a, a medical professional at such a you know prestigious uh, 
location. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Um, so Keandra, uh, Komen has hired and trained six culturally competent Komen patient navigators on staff to serve patients in metropolitan areas with some of the greatest inequities. Can you tell us more about your role in the training program at Komen and how you work with internal and external patient navigators? Of course, thank you. So what I do here at Coleman is help oversee our patient navigation training program. So there's really two sides. Coleman has a patient care center. And within that patient care center, we have the patient navigation services, which is where our internal um, Nav patient navigators live, and we also have the training program. The training program really has a two-pronged approach, and I really love, so I want to reiterate what both um, Dr. Bataglia and you said, that breast cancer isn't always the worst problem that patients are facing, and we realize that. So our um, one of our main goals within the training program is to produce um, content that um, helps navigators through a health equity lens. So it really has the two-pronged approach of one, diversifying the workforce because we found that patients are more um, receptive to receive information from individuals who reflect the communities that they are a part of, and two, to provide navigators with equitable tools, resources, and strategies so that they can have um, everything that they need to efficiently um, navigate a diverse patient pool. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. So, so Tracy, I think you started to answer this question already, but I'm hoping you'll expound on it just a little bit. But from your experience, can you discuss why it's so important to increase diversity in the healthcare workforce? Yeah, happy to. I have to share my personal experience, which I think will highlight sort of my response. I am um, fortunate to be a two-time cancer survivor. I, um, my first diagnosis was when I was in medical school. Um, and my second diagnosis was about four years ago after dedicating my career to breast cancer inequities, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And both of those experiences, I recognize that I am a white woman of privilege and my care experience was extremely different than the patients that I serve. And so while I feel like we've done a lot of work to address inequities. We still have a long way to go. And so when I say my experience is different, you know, my experience is different because when I walk into the hospital and when I interact with my providers, they're very much like me. And so I'm comfortable. That's not necessarily the case for other patients, um, people of color, people who don't speak English um, from all sort of, you know, different cultures. And, you know, care requires trust and trust starts with relationships. And if you're starting out with, with in, unequal relationships with your healthcare team, it's really hard to trust and access care. And so from that perspective, I think at the root cause of our healthcare inequities, it's really about trust. And as much as I, you know, can say that I have experience and have been trained to be culturally aware and culturally sensitive. I'm not from the community or from the cultures of most of the patients that I serve. So, you know, my, my team in taking care of the patients that we take, take care of at Boston Medical Center is extremely diverse. 
I think it makes us a standout institution in the city because if you walk in the doors and you're from a different culture and you speak a different language, you will see signage that feels comfortable and you will see faces that look like yours. And so I think that is a critical component of it. Our patient navigation programs have allowed us to increase and diversify our workforce because our patient navigation program historically and to this day has been about finding um, culturally congruent community members and bringing them into the healthcare team to support the patients. That's fantastic. Uh, really, really well said and very, very thoughtfully put. I really appreciate that perspective. Um, Keandra, one of Komen's major areas of focus is on increasing diversity specifically for genetic counselors. Uh, so can you just explain like what a genetic counselor is and how one would work with a patient? So yeah, of course, I want to preface this um, with the fact that Komen is doing a lot of work on genetic counseling and testing and um, the inequities, researching the inequities that fall within that. Um, what the role that I have in that is for our training program that we talked about a little bit earlier. We're creating a course on um, navigating patients through genetic counseling and testing. So how can a navigator help a patient through that process? So what a genetic, to answer uh, your question, what a genetic counselor does is provides patient with information about how genetic conditions might affect them or their family. So the genetic counselor will speak to the patient about their individual and family health history, explain the benefits and limitations of genetic testing, um, explain what kind of genetic panels are available, and what happens if a genetic mutation is discovered. Now, one of the things that we focus on within the course that we're creating right now is, like I mentioned, the inequities that might fall within that. So as um, Dr. Battaglia mentioned earlier, um, one of the things we highlight is you know, that there's not a large provider representation um, for historically marginalized populations. So what if a patient doesn't feel comfortable, right? What is the navigator's role in that? What if um, a patient um, it, barrier is exacerbated by the social determinants of health that they're experiencing. How can a navigator help with that? So we, we really focus within the course on navigator strategies, um, how they can educate patients, how they can empower patients, um, and just really what that process looks like. I love that. I love that. All right. So, so Tracy, uh, again, you sort of you part you partially alluded to this already, but I'm I'm gonna hope we can uh, we can double click on it and go a little deeper here. So, from your experience in your career, why is it so important to have culturally sensitive and diverse genetic counselors? Well, I'll start by saying that I could not do my job without genetic counselors. So, um, I um, in our breast practice, we focus a lot of our attention on identifying and understanding the risks of the patients that come into our practice so that we can appropriately create a care plan for them that is consistent with their personal risk for developing cancer. Um, genetic counselors are critical at the time of diagnosis, especially for young women of color, because it will alter your treatment trajectory. So having access to genetic counselors at the time of a diagnosis can impact the care that you get. And so we need to make sure 
that they're available at that time. But even if you step back a few steps and you think about screening and um, risk reduction and early diagnosis, um, genetic counseling is important there because it allows us to um, offer risk reduction strategies to reduce your chances of getting cancer altogether and helping you find a diagnosis early, which is life-saving. So um, culturally, you know, diverse genetic counselors are critical because it's a really complex issue. You know, counseling and talking about genetic risk and what it means and how it impacts me and my family is a really complicated concept that I have trouble understanding. And so when we talk to our patients about it, we have to have people who can break it down and help people understand the impact it has on their lives. Um, and, um, you know, when you're crossing language divides, that gets even harder at our institution. You know, we have, I mean, at any given time when I have a session of patients, I would say um, 50% of my patients don't speak English. And it's not just, you know, the top languages of Spanish and Haitian Creole, but it's, you know, languages I can't even pronounce because they're so rare. Um, and so, you know, we have to be able to address those things through interpreters sometimes. And so, you know, culturally aware and trained genetic counselors are critical so that so that our patients will utilize them. You know, some, sometimes we refer them and they never make it there because they don't understand it. They're intimidated by it. And so um, they're critical members of our care teams. I mean, it, it seems like genetic counseling would be such a such an important role to take such, something so complex and make it uh, digestible, consumable, you know, to yeah. a, a non-medical professional. Can I just say, and this is not my area of expertise, but I will say that, you know, a real limitation that we struggle with at our institution as a safety net institution is genetic counselors are not reimbursable. Like they can't bill for their services in the traditional way a healthcare provider bills. And so, you know, it's often on the operating budgets of hospitals or other ways of sort of raising funds to be able to provide this service. We have a long way to go, you know, in that respect. It's not dissimilar to the patient navigation models of you know, sustainability and sort of funding for those critical roles, which I, we can't gloss over because, you know, we're doing this work. We, we know it's critical. We know it improves outcomes, but we have a lot of work to do to make sure it's sustainable. And so plug for the National Navigation Roundtable. The National Navigation Roundtable uh, is a national consortium um, of members from across, you know, all agencies um, that are sort of working towards this common goal of sustaining um, oncology navigation models. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. All right. So, Keandra, Coleman has trained more than 70 Black individuals through the Navigation Nation training program. Can you tell us more about the program and how it's helping to increase healthcare workforce diversity? Yeah, sure. So a little bit more about the patient navigation training program. It was launched um, in, in May 2021. So it's about a year and a half old. And um, as I mentioned earlier, it really has a two pronged approach of one, diversifying the workforce and two, providing navigators with skills, strategies and resources. And we do that 
in various ways. And so um, one of the initial ways we do that is we have an online training portal that we we finally call our Navigation Nation portal. And we call our, our uh, trainees or our navigators that um, partake in the program our community, so our Navigation Nation community. Um, and that's intentional because we really want to foster an environment of communities so um, that the trainees within the program feel comfortable to share best practices, to be vulnerable, to share what they're struggling with, to, to share barriers. But um, within our online portal, we have um, courses that they can take. And so originally uh, the program uh, spans about 10 weeks and we have a core curriculum that um, is adapted from George Washington University. And then we also have courses that we create um, in-house that are um, created through a health equity lens. So one of the first in-house courses we launched is navigating Black patients through racism and bias in healthcare. So within that, we talk about, um, as I mentioned earlier, how sometimes barriers are exacerbated um, within specific communities by um, additional factors that um, affect them, such as social determinants of health, such as racism, such as, such as a lack of cultural congruence, right? Um, and so um, right now, as I also mentioned earlier, we're, we're um, in the process of writing and producing a course on navigating patients through genetic counseling and testing, which will also focus on some of those inequities as well. Wow. Yeah, so, um, and then additionally, so we have the, the online part, but of course, we asked for feedback. So um, after our pilot, we we sent a survey out and we asked for feedback. And one of the things that was mentioned was peer, more peer-to-peer -peer engagement um, and more events. So um, in September, we launched our inaugural Navigation Nation Summit, and it was called Navigating a Path to Health Equity. Um, and we had a lot of experts in the field come and talk about um, some of these hard topics, such as how do you bridge the gap? What are some health equity-based solutions for the navigator? Um, how um, do I build a roadmap to success for all of my patients? What does that look like? We also have um, panel discussions. So we've had panel discussions on how to navigate underserved communities, breast cancer 101 navigation, genetic counseling and testing as well. Um, and we have virtual office hours where we just come and talk and network, um, share ideas, play, um, play games um, that are related to the content um, within our courses. And so it's really a way, as I mentioned earlier, to just foster that community so everyone feels comfortable enough so we can have these tough conversations about addressing these barriers to care. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate you going into that level of detail because it it made me realize how incredibly comprehensive this training is and and it which just just speaks to the gravity of how far we have to go in this area yeah. right and so i really i really appreciate you you just sharing all those details that was really helpful um so so tracy your approach to addressing health inequities focuses largely on engaging communities as partners in their research process uh how can listeners get involved in helping address these inequities well, I want to just pick up on what Keandra just sort of described, which is 
the process that you went through in creating your curriculum is you engage the community in that process. You, you explained beautifully how you asked for feedback and you adapted your program in response to that feedback. And that's exactly what community-engaged research is about. So, you know, if, if you're asking what is sort of the call to action here, is there are lots and lots of ways for the community to get involved in research. research. Not, not that, of course, they could participate as research subjects, but that's not what I mean. I mean that there's opportunities and expectations from funders now, from the National Institutes of Health down to every foundation and organization, including the Komen Foundation, who I think Susan G. Komen has led the way in, in sort of, you know, having patient advocates as part of your team in order to be eligible for funding. So, so researchers are expected to be partnering with the community and not one-offs. They're expected to show true, authentic relationships with community partners, whether that be a survivor or a member of, a, you know, the leader of a community-based organization that represents a group um, that is interested in improving the health of their community. You, um, so the ways to get involved are um, at every level. You can look online um, at funding agencies. They are looking for community volunteers to help them review grants, sit on focus groups, sit in on community advisory boards, look at your local hospital, ask your healthcare providers. Um, I think there's lots of ways to get involved. There's a um, funding agency called PCORI, the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. They are designed to get patient voice in research and there's opportunities to sign up and get involved that way. Um, so really the sky's the limit for community members to start to drive the research agenda. Well, that's fantastic. And Keandra, similar question to you. How can listeners connect to Komen's patient navigators? And if someone's interested in participating in Komen's patient navigation training program, what steps do they need to take? Yeah, great question. And that's really twofold. So as I mentioned earlier, Komen has patient navigators internal. And um, I don't think I mentioned, but I will now, that we always do a soft launch of our training program content with the internal navigators. And then anyone can take our, our um, external navigation training program. Um, our internal Komen navigators are really experts and really help address barriers to care. And if a patient um, needs referred to one, they can start by calling our um, Susan G. Komen Breast Care Helpline. And I will just read the number for you really quick. So the Breast Care Helpline number is 1-877-465-5555. Um, and so that's a great entry point. And the Breast Cancer Helpline here um, at, at Susan G. Coleman helps with a lot of resources. Um, and one of those is getting in touch with the patient navigator. Um, for our training program, anyone can take it. Like I said, it's it, it's a program of no charge and has some great resources. Um, the target of the target audience, if you will, are professional patient navigators, and really we really focus in all of our content on that barrier piece. And so, if you'd like to um, partake in our training program, feel free to contact me at navigationnation at coleman.org. So I will say that one more time, navigation, um, N-A-V-I-G-A-T-I-O-N, nation, N-A-T-I-O-N, at um, coleman.org. 
Oh, it's perfect. Thank you so much. Well, this has been amazing. You're both amazing people doing important, important work. Uh, thank you for sharing just a peek and a, a glimpse into the work you're doing with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great discussion. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Keandra. Thank you. Join us as we stand for her to drive a health equity revolution where we'll create a world without inequities where Black people have the same chances of surviving breast cancer as anyone else. To learn more about Stand For Her and advancing breast health equity at Susan G. Komen, please visit komen.org forward slash stand for her. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com.